0: right, the book of Habakkuk. Um, a few months ago, I went through the book in Sunday school very quickly here, and uh, the book is a complaint, and then God's response, and then Habakkuk's response. It's more like a diary, a journal, than it is the other prophets. It's very different in form. Um, it's, uh, it was written before the invasion of uh, Judah by Babylon in five before 586 B.C. And um, I felt it was very fitting because of all the things that we are seeing in our nation and the unrest and the violence and the unsettled hearts. And Habakkuk begins in Habakkuk chapter 1 with his complaint. And listen to these words. He says, The burden in which Habakkuk the prophet did see, O LORD, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me. And there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceeded. Basically, Habakkuk is saying, How long, Lord, must I call for help? How long do I have to wait to see your hand, to see you rescue? There's violence everywhere, but you're not coming to save. Do I have to see the wickedness going on before my eyes? Forever. Do I have to watch all this misery? I'm surrounded by people, he says, who love to argue and fight. King James used the word contention there. He says there's no justice. The wicked far outnumber the righteous. Justice is perverted, is what he's saying here. Seems to be no answer. what Babylon would do in the the rest of chapter 1. And then in verse 11 he says that they will still be held guilty. God is going to remove his restraint. He's going to allow the Babylonians to do what Babylonians do. He's going to bring uh, uh, more violence and punishment upon the nation of Israel because of that they were doing. But at the same time, because God is a very intricate God, His ways are beyond our ways. At the same time, He will also, in the end, punish Babylon for their injustices. A second complaint, a second response, chapter 1 and verse 12. And he pleads God's character. He says, God, you're the everlasting one. You're the God who is true, in verse 12 and 13. You're the God who is of pure eyes and behold iniquity. And when are you going to do anything about it? God said, here's what I'm going to do. And now he says, but they're worse than us. He says, we're going to be like fish strung up on Mervyn Stringer. Caught and killed. Caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate. He says, they're going to worship their nets that they're going to catch us in. And they're gonna, they're gonna, you're gonna give them an opportunity, God, to say, uh, for them to say, look what our gods did for us in conquering another nation. You can sense some of the disconnection here in Habakkuk's heart with who he knows God is. He said, "Are they? Are you gonna let them?" In verse 17, you're gonna let them succeed forever in their conquest. And God. And Habakkuk says well and he kind of ducks now after he's uttered his complaint to God and he says I'm going to go up to my watch post now and see how you're going to reprove me now for these words I just said to you God he kind of understands he's out of line but he knows this is who God is he's pure he's eternal he's holy he's full of splendor Habakkuk did not have was God's omniscience. He didn't know the timing. And God is a God who is just. And God is a God who will punish the evildoer. But Habakkuk said, was thinking, you have to do it right now. And God is saying, I'm going to do it in my time. And that's what Habakkuk needed to understand. Friends, most of the problem in our lives with our wrestlings with God is not the things we We know his character, we know his attributes, we know who he is, but the thing that our hearts need to understand is the timing of God. That God has his own timing. When the fullness of time was come, the scripture said, God sent forth his son, made of a woman born under the law. Everybody else wanted a redeemer centuries before, right? But God has his own timing, and that's the part. Just the righteous ones shall live by their faith, is what he tells Habakkuk. That is the message Habakkuk needed to understand. The faith that God will execute justice in his own timing. He will not allow things to continue as they are. But that does not mean that he's going he's to deal with it at this very minute. interesting that the verse 3, talking about, uh, in the back of uh, chapter 2 and verse 3, when Persecution, who might have difficulties, who might be wondering, is this really worth it? It's the verse that he uses to tell them that the best is yet to come, that God will answer, that God will uh, 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 help them to to see the reward. They might not even see it in their day, but there will be a day when they will fully see the reward, and that's the message we have to take away here from Habakkuk. And then God gives. Um, Five woes on Babylon. Five woes. (laughs) He says, alright, Habakkuk, you're correct. That what the Babylonians will do to Israel is also evil. It's also violent. But they're not going to get away with it either. God's got this all figured out, friends. There is a perfect amount of justice meted out for every single human being in this world. Right? God is the just judge. People ultimately never get away with anything. Right? Which is why we need grace. Which is why we need a Romans 3. One who is just and the one who declares people righteous and justifier through his blood. But God says, here's five woes that are going to happen to Babylon. Babylon. They become rich by extortion. Well, they're going to be extorted. They plundered many nations. Well, their survivors are going to plunder them. Um, Then the second woe in verses 9 through 14. Uh, They think their wealth brings them security from everything they plundered. Well, the very stones in the walls that they've taken and the beams that they've taken out of other nations are going to cry out in vengeance upon them. And verse 11 that they gain through murder and corruption, the Lord of Heaven's armies is going to turn that wealth into ashes. They work hard, but all in vain. And then he says in verse 14, he says, As the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with the glory of God. In other words, God's glory will come face to face with sin. And the world will have a Profound awareness of the absolute uniqueness of who God is. God is eternal. Live for that, he tells the Babylonians. And he tells them the Babylonians again. Um, you gloat over the nakedness of these nations that you've stripped down, but soon it'll be your turn to be disgraced. At verses 15 and 16, you're going to drink from the cup of God's judgment. And then he talks about the things they did to creation. He said, you cut down the forests of Lebanon. You destroyed the wild animals. So now the, the terror of even the wild animals that you were killing are gonna, is going to be your terror. You committed murder. That was the fourth woe. And then verses 18 on, he gives the fifth woe. Their idolatry. You carved an idol. Uh, uh, how foolish it is to, to trust in your own creation. Something you made with your own hands. that can't even talk And your your stone idols are speechless. And here's the irony. He says in verse 20, The very thing you worship is speechless, but he says, Our God is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. Your idols can't even speak, but our God commands everyone else to be silent, so He speaks. Israel. It's actually a psalm in chapter 3. And it says uh, in chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 1 and 2, he says, wow, God, now I look back and I remember all the things that you did for us as Israelites. How you brought us out of slavery and redeemed us from bondage in, in, in Egypt. How you brought us into the promised land and the things you accomplished to do that. In verse 2. In your wrath, Lord, remember mercy. And he rehearses then in verses 3 through 11 what God did for Israel to get them in the promised land so that he would fulfill in the future his promised plan through Jesus. And he talks about God and all his splendor, his holiness, his glory, and his radiance in verse 3 and 4. He gets a victory. Then verse 4 tells us that with all that God reveals and all His glory and His beauty, He also hides His awesome power. Do you realize that everything we see today is this wind is whipping through us. This is what not even a whisper of God's power, right? We see the beauty of the hills around us. We see these big trees that would fall on us and crush us. We see them shaking with the wind. we see all kinds of things that display God's power. Verse 4 of chapter 3 tells us that's just the tip of the iceberg of His power. He hides His power from us. We just see a little bit of it where we would be overwhelmed. And then in verse 5 and 6, He talks about the shock and awe um, that will come to Israel and the Babylon. It reminds the Israelites... And, and the Lord and the readers here of, of, the, of the works of God striking the rivers, parting the sea sun and moon standing still and then it closes in chapter 3 as he lists the things that God does with these words and so if you turn to chapter 3 and verse 16 and look at these words with me Chapter three sixteen. When I heard my belly trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered in my bones, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble, when he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. So he's melted by God's power and what God will do. But then he says these words, and these are the words of faith. These are the words of eyes who have seen God's glory and can say, God, I see the injustice in this world on this little pebble here that's going around the sun. But I see you in all your greatness and vastness and your bigness and your galacticness and whatever word other word you want to make up here, right? I see this, and God, this puts it in perspective. And God, I can trust you no matter what's going on in my circumstances. And look at his words here. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. He says, Lord, my circumstances may or may not get better. And even if they continue to get worse, Lord, look at the next verse, yet, there's the cry of faith, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of says that he is the answer reminds us that we have the gospel of peace but he tells us to be messengers of that peace and be messengers of that peace where the peace of god already is dwelling and ruling in our hearts because we are a people of faith and trust him to see justice eventually done and so i wonder if there's some uh, folks this this, uh, this morning that we'd be able to stand up this morning and pray a short prayer uh, for us to be God's people properly representing Him and to pray for our nation in particular and intercede on behalf of it that God would intervene though He is not obligated to do so our intercession will be the way that he does if he does so choose and so now I'm giving you an opportunity to those who feel led to pray for our nation